Well, if you're regularly here, then uh, you'll probably be aware by now we're going to dive into this wonderful, complex book of Ecclesiastes. Um, So I hope you've been reading it. Um, You need to read it, actually, if you're going to make any sense of what we're doing. We won't be able to read the whole text on Sundays, but I'd I'd, I'd invite you and encourage you to do it and wrestle with it and hang in there. Um, I I said this in the first service, and I'll, I'll say it again. I feel I need to say this, these services, the sermons are going to be slightly different. They're not your Christmas carol service talk where you always know what the answer is actually going to be. you just got to find a different way of saying it. Um, and you can sort of dress it up and maybe even make it a little bit entertaining. This is going to be hard work. And, and that is the point of the book. And I, I sat down at the end of the first sermon and thought, oh, maybe I should have added something in towards the end just to make it sound better. <laughs> but if you go to a theological college, they will tell you you have to be true to the text. And the, part of the challenge of Ecclesiastes is it doesn't resolve until the very last part of the very last chapter of the very last bit of the book. <laughs> Now, I've read those verses out on Thursday at Body Talk and gave the game away. The point here is we have to dwell in the challenge. We have to dwell in the complexity of the book. So you just need to be ready for that. It's going to be slightly different. But I do believe, having wrestled with it and not understanding most of it, that it's going to be really good. So we're going to delve in. Um, Christmas was a little busy this year. I don't know how it was for you. But um, I like Christmas Day being on a Sunday. Because um, all the services are a little bit more spaced out. I paused in the first service and a couple of people got the joke there. But anyway, they're more spaced out. And there's no extra service in the middle of the week. Because sometimes, you know, you've got to think up something else. Because between Christmas and New Year, there's another service. And um, I was part of five different carol services this year. Five different times to say the same thing. My mother-in-law stayed with us for three weeks, which was great. I said that in the first service and everybody laughed. But I meant it to be true. Because actually, Lisa's mum is the easiest of our parents to have. And she comes and she stays, obviously, because she comes a long way when she comes. But it was great. I was involved in giving our Easter team food hampers. uh, Over a hundred of them with Sharon was there and other people. That room behind us was absolutely packed with food and chickens and pork pies and all sorts of stuff. And we, we shifted it all. It was a busy time, but it was a good time. So uh, a week ago, just over a week ago, Lisa and I decided that we would have one night in a hotel in Arundel to get away and have a break, because I didn't have a break over Christmas. So we decided on the next day, we went on the day it snowed, so we got to Arundel just as it started to snow, snowed for about 10 minutes, and everyone got really excited, and then it was over, Um, which actually is quite a good point for the book of Ecclesiastes, but anyway. Um, We decided on the Friday to go for a walk, and we have this book, so we went up onto the top of the Downs to do this seven-mile walk. Well, we did have our uh, Christmas present of a pair of waterproof trousers each, which we'd got from America, only the best, because Lisa's dad only buys us the best. Um, And that was great. However, it was the day after it snowed, and there was snow on the ground, and it was a couple of inches thick on the top of the Downs. And it was blowing a gale. So after about 15 minutes, we realised we weren't really dressed properly for this. Because while we were walking that way, which was east, we had the wind behind us. But we knew as soon as we turned around, we were going to have the wind against us. So we abandoned that walk and decided instead to go for another walk through Earthham Forest, which is down a bit and in the shelter. Six-mile walk, 
circular walk would bring us all the way back to earthen wood. We have a little book which tells us where to walk, what path to take, and what to look out for. And as we've done many times before, if you follow the book, you can enjoy a lovely walk. The last stretch of this particular walk is a long straight path back to the car park, or the road which the car park's on. So we've been walking and chatting up and down through woods, cross fields, probably for a couple of hours, because we don't rush. We kept checking the book, we kept choosing the path, we kept enjoying the views. But the last part of this walk just seemed a tad too long. The book said, keep going straight. So we kept going straight. But we began to wonder, is this actually the right path? But how could we have missed it? Because we were following the book, and the path, the book said, go straight on. So we went straight on. So if this isn't the right path, how could we have missed it? Then we arrived at a road. Phew. Only one problem. This road was in Slindon. Slindon? We don't want to be in Slindon. We want to be in earthen wood. Now at this point, we knew we had gone wrong. We had missed a path, but we had no idea where we'd gone wrong on this path. So it would have been pointless at this juncture to turn around and go back along the path since we had no idea which bit we went wrong at and we'd never find the path going the other way. We thought we had followed the path very carefully. We kept checking. And the truth was, we had absolutely no idea where we were. Slindon? Who's ever heard of Slindon? You're all nodding. I know you're all wise, but you weren't there. There were lots of things at this point we didn't know. We didn't know exactly where we were. We didn't know where we'd gone wrong. We didn't know how far we still had to go to get back to earth and wood. But there was one important thing we did know, and that turned out to be critical. We knew our destination. We knew where we were ultimately heading. And knowing that made all the difference, and we did not have to lose hope. So we asked some locals, we got out our mobile phones with our GPS on, we figured out where we were, and we figured out how we needed to go to get back to Earth and Wood. Our walk lasted a little bit longer than we planned, by about three miles, but we made our destination. Ecclesiastes, the strange, complex, confusing book of Ecclesiastes, is going to teach us something really very important. It will teach us that it is the destination that makes sense of our journey through life. The book of Ecclesiastes will tease us with the complexity of life, and at many points probably leave us wondering. And if you read the book... Don't worry if that happens, that is exactly the point of the book, to tease you with the complexity of life and to leave you wondering. If that happens, it's doing its job. The point in Ecclesiastes, the point that it's teaching us, the truth that we live in, is that that is how life often is. It is often complex and leaves us wondering. But you already know that, don't you? 
It begins by announcing that everything is meaningless. We'll get there in a minute. But haven't you thought that, or asked that, or shouted that at some point in life? Maybe you phrased it like this. What is the point? Ecclesiastes will confront us with the truth that we already know, which we looked at a little bit last week, but which we mostly want to avoid talking about if we can. The one thing that we can be sure of, the truth that we will all die. But Ecclesiastes is a most beautiful book because it will teach us that in fact it is death that gives us the meaning to life. It will teach us that the best way to live is in fact to live in the light of the truth of your certain death. It will teach us that we can in fact do that well and that when we do, we can live wisely and freely and generously. It will teach us that when we live well in the light of our death, we will find we will be able to enjoy and relish the small things in life in deep and profound ways. When I was preparing this sermon, I, I almost chose a different title to The Extraordinary Order in Your Life. It might not be important to you, but the title of a sermon series is really, really important to me because I'm making a statement about what I think it's about. And I almost chose the title, Live Life Backwards. Because that's actually the message of Ecclesiastes. Live life backwards. Live it in the light of the fact you know you're going to die and then you can do it well. If you know your destination, you can live well. You can live a full, vibrant, and meaningful life. But you have to live it backwards. We know that life is complex, often messy, sometimes tragic and disturbing. We know that. Many, many people get to Slindon and have absolutely no idea where they are or what to do. Ecclesiastes teaches that it doesn't have to be that way. It can be different. Ecclesiastes will not teach us how to avoid life's complexity, its confusion, or its tragedy. But it will teach us that if we have the right perspective, we can make sense of the journey. Ecclesiastes invites us to let the end, the destination, shape how we live to shape our priorities, to shape our goals, to shape our greatest ambitions, to shape our strongest desires. So, are you ready for Ecclesiastes? Oh, yes, they cried with great enthusiasm. Right, so get your Bibles out, or your phone, or your tablet, whatever you've got it on, and let's read these words together. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What do people gain from their labours at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye has never enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been 
will be again. And what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Well, that's a great start, isn't it? Ah, you're feeling really good now. One of our greatest challenges in life is to live in the world as it really is. Most of us, most of the time, my best guess, would much rather live in the world as we want it, in the fantasy of our own imagination. You know that phrase, you're looking at it through rose-coloured spectacles, and you know what it means, don't you? What it means is, you're looking back on an event or something and remembering only the good bits, or you're remembering it in a way that is better than how it actually was at the time. You know that, don't you? Um, I, I was chatting to a friend over Christmas, it was actually at the end of one of the carol services, which I think sums this up, and it's quite funny, but it's actually quite true. And he said to me, Ian, he says, the older I get the better I was. (laughs) Isn't it true, isn't it? The older I get, the better I was. Our challenge is to live now in the reality of how the world actually is, not how we would like it to be. We've talked about that lots before. still true. The teacher begins by throwing out the challenge of how the world really is. And he says, it's meaningless. Utterly meaningless. We don't like that, do we? We don't sit well with that, do we? Um, We don't want to be told our life is meaningless, do we? We don't want to be told that everything we do is a waste of time and has no meaning. At least I don't. (laughs) I don't want you to come up at the end of the sermon and go, yeah, yeah, that waste of time, that one, Ian. Meaningless, utterly meaningless. I'd be slightly disappointed and perhaps a little offended if you did that, even if it's true. Find a better, more gentle way of saying it. Perhaps a better translation, though, of the word that's in the NIV text, which is what I read, and you might have a different version, perhaps a better translation of the word meaningless would be breath or breeze. And the teacher is not actually saying that the universe is pointless and has no meaning, and if you stick with it, that will become clear as you go on. He is saying, though, that everything is like a breath or a breeze or the mist or a puff of smoke. Everything is like a breath. That's quite a challenging thought, isn't it? He's saying that that's the reality. Anything else, everything else is just an illusion. How are you feeling so far? Well, at this stage, don't worry, because that is the main point about this text at the beginning. The teacher wants to make you think about life. So by starting off by saying, it's meaningless, you go, what? Now you're thinking. That's the point. The teacher gives us some things to think about. So he says, life is like a breath. Life is short. Hmm. Well, life is real, but it is also temporary and it vanishes quickly and in some cases far more quickly than we would desire we recognise that you know when we, as we get older I've started saying this 
oh, it goes so much more quickly now, doesn't it? <laughs> be Christmas again soon, won't it? Oh. It's another way of recognising how short life is. I also get into trouble with my children. Yeah, 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 we know, Dad, it was different for you. Yeah, yeah. It's to wind my mother up with that. And she used to say the same thing to me. But life is short. And it vanishes quickly. Um, last week we talked about people who made it on the list for 2016. Here's one thing that's true. They won't be on the list next year, will they? Gone. Life is elusive. You ever tried to catch a breath? The teacher is reflecting on how lasting significance seems to elude us in life. Our ability to control life is, in truth, eludes us. That's not good news for all you control freaks out there, is it? Controlling life actually eludes us. We try, we plan, we scheme, we work towards, but the control we seek actually, in truth, eludes us. My best guess is there's not one person here who would be able to say, absolutely every area of my life is under my control. If you say that, biblically, you are a fool and a liar. Because it isn't true. We never fully understand the things that happen in life, do we? Some of them we do, a lot of them we don't. We are never fully in control of what we do. We we like to pretend we are in control. Some of us work really, really hard to make sure that we are. But really, it is just an illusion. Ecclesiastes 1 verse 3 asks this question. What do people gain from all their labour at which they toil under the sun? This opening question is there to make us think about reality. The question asks, when you've done all you can, what's left over? What is surplus? The question asks, um, is asked, so that actually we know the answer we're supposed to give is nothing. So what's left over when you've done everything? Well, we know the answer is nothing, thank you. The question is really probing at this. At the end of my life, what will be surplus? What will I leave that will be a lasting memory of my life? The teacher says that actually all we have is the earth. The earth that's always been here. It was here before us and it will be here after us. The truth is we haven't changed anything. Because in truth, nothing really changes. The teacher also says that life is repetitive. Verses 4 to 10 are written to make the point that what has will be again. What is present will soon be past. We know that, don't we? You you know, uh, every year I was teaching in in Crawley, they used to have the day when the book van came to school. And you know as parents you have to send the money in because they all have to go and buy a book and then come back. Every year, same thing happened. All the boys would go and buy the joke book and then you always had to have an hour afterwards when they were allowed to read their book. So for the next hour I'd sit there, listen to all the jokes they thought were really new and really funny and I'd heard the year before and the year before and the year before and the year before. And what I still don't understand is how jokes stay in year groups. Have you noticed that? 
If you're in year five, there's this set of jokes. When you get to year six, it's this set of jokes. But they just, they thought it was new. No, I've heard them not many times. I was in my class one day, and one of the girls, year ten, year six, singing a song, I joined in. Oh, how do you know that song, sir? And I went, well, I remember it the first time round. My classroom assistant, who's about four years older than me, said, no, you don't, Ian, you remember it the second time round. <laughs> what has been will be again. It's repetitive. Um, the human activities of speaking, seeing, and hearing are in these verses compared with the, the, the activity of the sun, the wind, and the water. And, and the point is that just what happens in, earth, in the earth is cyclical, so, so is human activity. Why, in fact, it's saying, would you expect it to be any different? It just goes round and round. So in the same way that rivers flow to the sea, but the sea is never full... So there is an insatiable desire in humans that we are, means we are never completely satisfied. Um, some of us might say, oh, no, 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 you know, we, we try out the good Christian answer, no, we're satisfied in Christ. Well, I bet you'll get a new mobile phone when the new one comes out. No, I've just proved you wrong. We always have to have more. We always have to have the next thing. We, there's always something else we need to get. Adverts, that the whole of the advertising industry is based on the fact that you are not, in fact, satisfied with your life. Because you'll buy the next thing, or the next thing, or the next thing. You know, that's how holidays have changed. It was not enough now to go and stand looking at a waterfall. You have to do what we did, get in a wetsuit and jump down it. That's how brave I am. Yes, thank you. Holidays that once were observing things, now you have to do it. We want more, we want more, we want more. We've never got enough. Bless him, Mick Jagger was right. Deep theologian that he is, I can't get no satisfaction. It's actually true, at one level at least. My mum's really pleased, by the way, with her new mobile phone. I'm not so pleased now, because she can actually receive my texts. (laughs) My defence always was that for some odd reason we never figured out. She could text me, but my texts never got to her. So I could say, Mum, here they are, but they never got to you. Now I don't have that excuse. When the teacher says there is nothing new under the sun, he doesn't mean there's never anything new. We know that's not true. What he means is there's nothing new that we can discover that will be able to break the cycle of how life is repetitive. That's the bit you can't change. Therefore, there is nothing new that will, in truth, bring the satisfaction that we long for. As humans, we make progress, but progress isn't new, is it? And it won't lead us, ultimately, to where we want to go. So how are you doing, friends? (laughs) Told you you'd have to work a bit harder. Some people understand the phrase, under the sun, which comes a lot in Ecclesiastes, to mean those who live without reference to God. That's a nice idea, and it would be great, because it implies that when the teacher describes people like that, he's not describing people who are Christians. Um, And we might want to argue that if we are Christians, it changes everything under the sun. Well, the trouble is, the teacher's not really saying that at all, at least not in that way. And what is true for people who live without reference to God is in fact true for those who love God with all their heart. Life is complex, messy, out of control, uncertain, short, elusive, repetitive, for Christians too, isn't it? Or is that only my life? 
being a Christian doesn't stop any of what the teacher says being true. And do you know what? If, if we could grasp that truth in the way it's meant in Ecclesiastes, that would be life-changing. That is exactly the point he's driving at. It's going to take him a while to get there. And the question that becomes the point of the book is this. If we won't live forever, if we won't even live long enough to make a lasting difference in the world, how then should we live? What the teacher will help us see is that accepting that we are going to die is in truth the first step to learning to live. Wise people choose to live in the truth that they are going to die. We can choose to live as if we will be able to escape the limits of being human that this earth actually brings. And one of the challenges, I've read on a little bit, one of the challenges that I'm wrestling with is, is just the statement, learning to live within your limitations. But it's powerful. Because you can do it, and you can do it really well. Or you can fight against it and have a really difficult life. Accepting this way of life is... Accepting that you can do that is is, is actually just an illusion. That's the life-changing breakthrough the teacher wants us to see. You remember uh, all the way back in Genesis what the first sin was? The first sin was the temptation to believe that you are God. You can be like God. Oh, can we? Jolly good. Yeah, just eat the fruit. Oh, thank you. We've been falling for it ever since. Teacher says that is an illusion. We are not God. We are not in control. We will not live forever. We will die. The teacher invites us to live in the truth, the reality of how life is, and not fall for the illusion. The teacher invites us to a better way to live. The teacher invites us to a different way of finding meaning and satisfaction. And if you feel sometimes that life is like trying to catch your breath, or when you get to chapter 2 he calls it chasing after the wind, which is great, isn't it? Don't you feel like that sometimes? You work really, really hard and never get anywhere. It feels like that sometimes when you're writing a sermon, I can tell you. Oh, man, go around in circles, what's the point of this? If you feel like that sometimes, then the teacher has good news for you. He says there is a better way to live that is not just an illusion. And he says that the better way to live, if you do it, there's absolutely no need to try and catch your breath and there is absolutely no need to feel like you have to chase after the wind. But you can in fact live an extraordinary ordinary life and we're going to journey through that together in the weeks that follow Amen